For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bailey is tracked down for a short loss. Shamarco Thomas. It's like a missile. It's a heat-seeking missile to the football. Charles finding someone, directing his body, and trying to run through that person. An explosive safety. For some programs, maybe doesn't mean as much. For this Syracuse program, it means a lot. What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, with episode 26 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast, presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company, here with Kyle F. to talk about Syracuse basketball's loss to Virginia, 74-69. to A rough game all around, but Kyle, how the heck are you? How are your holidays? My holidays were great, Mike. Happy New Year to you and to all of our listeners. Uh, 2022 is here, and I am excited for it. Um, I'm doing pretty well, um, except for the fact that uh, Syracuse lost and the fact that your Eagles clinched the playoffs. My Saints didn't. Congratulations, by the way. Uh, I do have to give props to you, but you heard our chances. You heard our chances to get in. So. I will um, I will refrain from singing the Eagles fight song on on this episode, but uh, perhaps in a future episode, if uh, the Eagles make a little bit of a run in the playoffs, we will get some. So, um, yeah, it was it was quite a weekend this past weekend with the Eagles clinching playoffs. And they were at two, five, two and five earlier in the season. Didn't expect them to get there. But here they are. The magic of sports. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. I mean, hey, we were five and two. <laughs> the New Orleans Saints. Look at us. We might be the playoffs, <laughs> but still, still got a shot. Still got, still got a shot. Still got a shot. Uh, hopefully Taysom Hill does pretty well for us. We're back in better than ever. A new web interface for the rest of the NBA season and more props, odds and lines than ever before. Bet online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk about Syracuse and Virginia, as we mentioned, a 74-69 loss. We're going to start with just kind of our overall thoughts on the game. Um, I'm going to start, and then I'll I'll kick it over to Kyle. But um, I I was at the dome covering the game, and I left the dome thinking that this was a missed opportunity for Syracuse that they did enough offensively despite the poor shooting numbers percentage-wise. You score 69 points against Virginia, you should win that game. And the fact that they didn't tells you how bad the defense was. And despite how bad the defense was, they were a couple of wide-open shots and 
um, a slightly below average free throw shooting game from Jimmy Beheim away from still winning the game. I do think that there are some positives from it, but there are certainly some negatives. There's some themes that we've seen throughout the year that have plagued Syracuse second half defense being extremely poor defense overall being an issue. Um, some unforced turnovers from Joe Girard, Cole Swider missing some open shots. We're going to get into all that, but I think a missed opportunity for Syracuse to start the conference season two and zero to extend themselves to a three game winning streak after the COVID pause and really start to build some momentum and confidence as a team. Yeah. I mean, you said, you said it in terms of the thoughts on the game, which was our defense was tragically bad. And Jim Beheim has said it multiple times now this week, which was our defense is why our record is where it is. And he's right. Our defense is not good. And I know we'll discuss it later, but it, it's just the simple things. The team can't do the simple things. They have they've missed multiple open shots. I mean, we shot 36% from the field. That's not good. We should be shooting that at least from the three ball. Not for, not for the field. That's not good, Mike. No, I, it's... I, 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 that's all I have to say is just, <laughs> I, I, as you said, it was a missed opportunity. We should have beaten UVA. The fact that we didn't, and they won, and then Kyle Guy is in the NBA, like to rub it in our faces. The man bun. Just one more pain that we have. To true have story. True it. story. If if you want to know how my maturity level has improved over the last several years, uh, when Kyle Guy, as a freshman, came to the dome with Virginia, um, he's either freshman or sophomore at the time. He had a man bun, right? So he's dribbling around. He's got this thing up the top of his head. I thought he looked ridiculous. So when I was tweeting, I was live tweeting. Every time I referenced him, instead of calling him Guy or Kyle Guy or whoever, I called him Man Bun in my tweets. That, that tells you the maturity level of where I was at for that game. But regardless, uh, you mentioned that some things that Jim Beheim has said about the defense. And before we, we're going to start with the offense um, as far as our deep dive goes. But since you brought it up, I'm going to read you the quote during his um, ACC conference call with with all of the the head coaches uh, within the conference today uh, about the defense. Here's his quote. Our defense lost us the game the other day. We played horrible defense. I just put together some clips. I usually show them five or six really bad defensive clips. We have 14 without even trying of just guys not playing their position, not in their position where they're supposed to be. And when you score 69 points against Virginia, then you should be able to win the game. They only give up 50. Our defense was a disgrace, and that's on me. I'm the coach. I'm responsible for that. Every guy, literally seven guys, made a really bad defensive mistake. A couple of guys made multiple defensive mistakes, and you can't win games that way. We've We've already demonstrated that. Our offense is more than good enough, and our defense has been horrendous. It's really 100% responsible for our record. We've done, at most, everything I know to fix it. We're going to keep trying to fix it, but at the end of the day, we need to play better on the defensive end. So as you said, it is 100% responsible for where Syracuse is at 7-6. and six. They lost the game to Colgate, where they scored 85 points. They just lost the game to Virginia, who is a subpar offensive team, 
where they scored 69 points, which is about 11 points, I think, above where teams were scoring on Virginia coming in. And they lost the game to Georgetown, which wasn't a very good offensive team in which they scored over 70 points. So those three games, absent everything else, include throw in VCU, who is not a very good offensive team and had um, season highs in points and shooting percentages against Syracuse. And Syracuse's seven and six record, if you play somewhat competent defense in those games, you're 11 and two with your losses being to Villanova and Auburn. Yep. And you actually feel pretty darn good about where you are as a team right now, but that's not where they are, but we will get to the defense a little bit more later. I want to start with offense. As you mentioned, 36.7% shooting, not great. However, the positive was they were getting good looks and Virginia is a very good defensive team. They were, Number one in the ACC in fewest points allowed per game. Number two in the ACC in field goal percentage defense. And this was a game that their field goal percentage defense is going to improve. They were allowing teams to shoot 39.5% coming in and only gave up about 36.7% against Syracuse. So their numbers going to improve. But that was not because Virginia did all of these wonderful things to contest everything that Syracuse was doing. That was not the case. Syracuse just wasn't knocking down their shots other than Buddy Bayheim, essentially. Cole Swider was three for 12. He had a bunch of wide open looks. Joe Girard only took five shots, but he only made one of them. A couple shots were strange decisions, to say the least. But Syracuse needs some help other than Buddy. And it's not because the other guys aren't getting good looks. They are. Cole's getting good looks. Jimmy missed a bunch of shots in the lane. He was seven for 18 shooting. Someone else has to step up. The good news is they're getting a lot of good looks. So the stuff that they're running on offense is working even against good defenses. They've just got to start converting. Yeah. And again, it's this, it's the fallacy of how sports work. If one part of your game gets better, the other part will naturally just improve. If they start making more of his open shots, they start putting more points on the board. All of a sudden, the other teams say they're say Syracuse puts up 76 points in this game. At some point, UVA is going to start chucking up more threes, trying to take more deep shots or pressing it more. That'll cause more errors, more missed shots. That is just how the game works. Is the more points you put on the board, the more a team's going to feel like, oh, we need to get back in the game sooner. They're going to start chucking shots. And at that point, you win because they're going to miss one more shot. You're going to rebound go back down, score. But when you miss these open shots, all of a sudden it puts more strain on your defense because your defense has to make up for your offense. And when defense has been this bad all year, it's only going to get worse. There is no team is not capable of doing everyone thought there was nowhere to go, but up for the defense. We somehow went farther down. I don't know how it was possible. And we'll get to the defense more later, but that shows you how much it means, the defense, how bad it's been, is that it's affecting our offense. Because when we can't make shots, they come back down and they get a bucket. And then it's like, okay, we missed the last shot. We should make the next one. We missed that. Okay, now we're in trouble because they go down and score our two. That's four points. That is a four point. They're four points up and we've missed our two shots. And then it's like, we got to chase them the rest of the way. And that's what it felt like. We led, I believe, twice in this game, maybe even once. And 
that's because we chased the entire game because our offense could not make open shots when they needed to. And you said Cole Swider. I'm sorry, three for 12 is not good enough. Uh, Jimmy Beheim and Buddy Beheim each went around the same. Uh, Jimmy was seven for 18. Buddy was seven for 17. 11 of Buddy's shots were threes. And Buddy made five of them, which works. I'll take that. Obviously, would I preferred him to go better than uh, two for six from the field? Sure. But that's what he does, and it worked. But Jimmy missed open twos. Cole can't make a shot. It. I don't even know. I don't even know where to go. <laughs> it's tailgating season, and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. I mean, it's, in one sense, it's almost kind of impressive that the last couple of years they hadn't been very good defensively. And to your point, the theory was, well, it can't get much worse than that. And they found a way to do that. It's almost kind of impressive in, in one respect. But, um, you know, depressing. Um, in, in another. Also, we're the, we're the vaunted zone where a lot of the type you see teams put up almost no points. But for some reason, we, that doesn't work anymore. Like, yes, people figured out the zone years ago, but still you'd see teams put up 40, 50 points. Now right, we're, we're going to move. We're going to do a little readjustment on, on the fly here. We're yeah. going to move the defense up here. Cause I, I think, I think we need to talk about it. Cause um, it is, it is bad. And it I, is. And, and so there's, there's two things I want to say. The first thing is I've seen a lot of this stuff on, on social media and fans and, and whatever. And trust me when I get how you can say things that are irrational when you're emotional, when your team is not winning, I'm an Eagles fan. I have cut my entire team this season about eight different times. I get it. But um, the zone itself does not suddenly not work. The game has not evolved to the point where zone is now a defense that can never work, etc. The problem is they don't have the athletes with the quickness to cover as much ground as they used to have. And in fairness, there is better outside shooting now than there has been in, in, in college basketball probably ever. So you do have to cover more ground in a lot of those spots. Um, but they don't have the guys that have the quickness to do it in a lot of cases. Then you combine the fact that they don't have good defensive instincts on top of it because they're out of position a lot of times. And then the fact that they've added this wrinkle that they're going to have the center have to cover the corners, which I've heard Coach Beheim say on multiple occasions, you know, Frank's not getting out there. Jesse's not getting out there. And forgive me, but I don't recall in years past the center having to get out there on a right. I understand on certain rotations that 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 may have to happen from time to time but this seems to be a regular thing now that's expected and i'm i'm trying to understand given the fact that i don't understand basketball or specifically the zone nearly to the level that jim beheim does i'm trying to understand logically how the center is expected to cover the middle protect the rim but also protect the corners and what i'm seeing on a lot of occasions is 
you've got your two guards up at the top of the key and they're kind of standing there kind of hanging out. And then your two forwards, which are supposed to be in, in my opinion, covering the short corner and out to the, to the three point three point line in the corners, they're pushing so far up. You almost have like a four zero one and Yes, teams are putting more players around the perimeter there, so that makes it more difficult to cover in some respects. But you can't have your wings pushing up that far all the time. And then that strains the center so much that if he goes out, now your middle's wide open and the guys aren't quick enough to get back into their spots. And I think that's what teams are doing and why it's causing such a problem is it's causing players to get out of position. The top of the zone at the guard position is not being as aggressive and and as careful I've seen both Buddy and Joe, when a ball is passed out, it happened against Virginia where a ball would kind of go in. One of them would take a step or two into the lane when they didn't need to. And that wasn't their assignment gets kicked back out to the top of the key and they've got a shooter right there wide open. Um, So there's, there's several issues here. I think everyone, every player has made mistakes that have led to open shots. Um, But there's, there's just, you try to figure out where they can be, where there can be improvement. And there's, they're not going to be a team that's ever going to be a really good defensive team, but if they can just stop getting out of position, I think that would help quite a bit. Yeah. And there were three straight plays at the end of the first half for Virginia, three straight times that I'm going up the court where the ball got to the corner, the corner guy fed it into the guy just like a little bit higher than the low block. And then he passed it to a guy down low and the guy down low scored a layup three or four, three times in a row. It happened. Every time you can see the ball goes in the corner, you can see exactly where it was going from there. Pinball wise. You knew it was going here, there, and there. Like everyone could see it. And for some reason we can't stop it at some point. Yes. You're playing the zone at some point. Your instincts take over and say, okay, you do this twice. Like fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. At that point, you're like, okay, the third one, I'm going to stop. No, we still didn't. Three times the exact same play happens. If you are in any other sport, if you are a pitcher in baseball and you throw a pitch three times in the exact same spot, the third one, the batter's going to get it and he's going to launch that ball. If you're in football and you play the the exact same pass three times, the third time it's going to be a pick six. That is just how it's going to work. At some point, you say, okay, we're stealing the third one. No, the third one was the worst one we had. I don't know how it's possible. Here's, here's the positive, right, of, of a couple of things that I noticed was when Syracuse brought in Benny Williams, he gives you more quickness, more athleticism, more explosiveness. He's better on the defensive glass when he's um, you know really attacking the boards and focusing on that. And I thought he showed some things against Virginia. Uh, he played 12 minutes. He had just two points and four rebounds, but I thought he, he gave a little bit of a spark defensively, especially at the end of the first half when Syracuse made their run to tie the game after being down by 12 early. Uh, part of that was because they were getting stops and he was part of the reason for that. Um, Virginia actually started the game three for three from, from the outside and then went one for their next 11 in part because Syracuse was 
more disciplined in in their rotations in the zone. He was certainly part of that. I think with his athleticism, he gives them the best hope of some defensive improvement that he can come in off the bench, give him a little bit of spark and rebound the ball and and do some of those things. And then Samir Torrance is, is a little bit quicker and a little bit more physical at the top of the zone when he comes in for Joe Girard. So I think those guys can come in. And usually when you bring guys off the bench, you're expecting an offensive spark. I think they can do the opposite. I think they can come in and provide a defensive spark, even if it's for five to eight minutes, a half. Um, I think that's something that Syracuse can, can look at as a way to get some defensive improvement. So there's, there's an option there. And I think a lot of fans kind of took it for granted how good our defense has been. And I, a lot of fans, I don't think understood how big of a loss to an extent Kadari Richmond and Quincy Gurrier and Alan Griffin were, and even Broswell to an extent, but they're just lengthy athletic. They know how to defend. We don't have them. Even Elijah Hughes two years ago could defend well enough and he was athletic and he could use a freak of nature that that helps a lot of the time with someone down low. And we don't have that. And fans expected like Joe Girard to be able to defend up top perfectly. Yes. He gets steals all the time, but he's going to be boss at some point. You need someone bigger, Kadari Richmond style, a big six, five guard who can defend really well. That's needed at some point, or you need that six, nine wing out there who can defend the corners. Well, you need Merrick Dolezal. You don't like, I don't get it. I don't get why fans didn't see this as a problem. Like we all saw it. We all knew it was gonna be a problem. And the fans said, no, I'll be fine. Like, yes, Cole Swider is really nice. We love Cole. He's awesome. But at some point it's going to come back to bite you that he's not as defensively strong as Kadari Quincy Allen, like all of them. And it's clearly showing right now that we're missing these guys that are defensive monsters. Kadari was known for being a very good defensive player. When he came in, he would just get a defensive stop. That was what he did. We all knew it. And we don't have someone like that right now. Benny's really good, but the rest of the defense just, unless it's a Joe Girard steal, I don't see where defensive stops are coming from. Well, that, and that's part of the problem too, right? Is it's, it's steal or nothing. It's, it's turnover or made basket it seems like in a lot of cases but to your point about having the bigger guard that can be good defensively um, Syracuse does have a 6-6 point guard who's coming in next year in Quadir Copeland and has the 6-5 shooting guard in Justin Taylor both of which are significantly better athletes than than who they have in those spots now they've also got um, a 6-8 wing in Chris Bunch who is very athletic, uh, similar athletically to Benny Williams, a little bit better of an outside shooter. So perhaps next year in your, your starting lineup, you've got Benny Williams and, and uh, Cole Swider, and then you're bringing in Chris Bunch off the bench to give you um, some athleticism. And then you've got a six, nine power forward who also is, is pretty athletic, but is kind of a, a um, strong interior player in Malik Brown coming in and then a very athletic center who moves really, really well. in Peter Carey, who's about seven feet tall has NBA level athleticism. So you've got some guys that have the traits that you're looking for that you don't have right now. The problem is they're not here right now. That doesn't help right now. And then some of those guys are going to need a couple of years to develop and, and it's going to take some time, but there, there are reinforcements coming. I think that more fit the mold that, that you just outlined that they're missing. Um, 
the last thing I want to talk about before we kind of get into Syracuse's upcoming schedule is Joe Girard. He is a polarizing topic. We've already talked about Cole Swider missing open shots. Syracuse needs him to make shots. That kind of goes without saying. There's really not much more to say there. Um, he has had certainly had his ups and downs shooting this year, but Syracuse needs him to be better than three for 12 if they're going to win games against good teams. Joe Girard in, in this game, um, one for five, one for four from three-point range. He did have three assists. Only had one turnover, which kind of surprised me because it seemed like he turned the ball over a couple more times than that. But uh, he was just kind of out of this game on both ends. And it's really the second game in a row that he's been that way. And the previous 11, he had been pretty good. He was, you know, one of the top three point shooters in the country. Uh, he, he was getting a lot of assists, um, did have somewhat high turnovers. But given everything else that you were getting from him, you were good with it. Um, Syracuse needs good Joe to come back. There's no question about that. Now, where I will. I don't know if question the Hall of Fame head coaches is, is the right word, but I guess um, I would ask for some understanding a little bit is I thought Samir Torrance gave Syracuse some good minutes in the first half. And I was surprised that they waited as long as they did to go back to him in the second half. I thought there was with Joe struggling at different points in this, in the second half, they could have brought him in for, for a little bit of a spark. Um, I, I think turning to him when Joe is having an off, off day would be beneficial to them going forward, giving him some more minutes. But um, I'll just say this about Joe. Yes, the last two games haven't been good. Yes, it's true. You could turn to Samir Torrance, give him some more minutes in those situations. But I think we need to stop with the, when Joe Girard has a good game, we're not going to say anything. But then when he has a bad game, we're going to say he belongs at a D3 school. Like it's it's too far extreme when when we're talking about him and instead of of evaluating what what he's actually doing, he has his flaws, but he's a good player. Um, and, you know, you, you, you're going to need him to be a little bit better defensively in terms of locating open shooters at the top of the zone. But you need him to make shots when he's out there and uh, when he's struggling offensively, you know, maybe give Samir Torrance an extra three, four minutes a game. Yeah. And. It's not even like Joe has played badly this season. Yes, he went one for five this game. Uh, he didn't play well last game. He's shooting his career. He's got career highs in field goal percentage and three point percentage this year. He's shooting 47% from three. That is an elite level of shooting percentage. And he, he jacks up shots. Like that is what, why he makes him so polarizing. He just chucks up shots from like half court. This year he's shooting almost 50%. That is crazy. That is NBA level. If you do that in the NBA, you're getting paid like Clay Thompson. That is what you're at right there. And he's doing that. He's even shooting 44% from the field, which again is his career high by over 8%. He's, his career at that point, his best was last year at 35.5% from the field. He's at 44 this year. That is a major upgrade. He's playing well on offense. As we said, it's, it's you said something earlier that was, we need someone other than Buddy to score. Currently, it feels like if Buddy doesn't score, it feels like we're just done for. It feels like we have no hope because, yeah, Jimmy's played well, but it's not like we have Elijah and Tyus and Buddy all on offense and Quincy there as well and O'Shea Brissett there that we had four or five guys in those teams. Any one of them could get a bucket when they wanted to. 
it doesn't feel like that. It feels like this is all just Buddy's show. And if he doesn't score, you pray someone finds a rebound, which we haven't been doing. And you pray they kick it out to someone for an open three for Joe. And that's just not happening enough because it's not, it's not going to happen. They're going to double Buddy. And there's no hope at that point because no one else can get at their own shot and make their own shot. You need someone else. Joe is okay at creating. He's not great. You need a creator. You need someone else other than Buddy Beheim to get his own shot. And Buddy's not even amazing at getting his own shot. Like at some point, he just doesn't look himself because he's getting doubled. It's, It's the same problem over and over again. And it's just not being fixed. We've slowly lost players every year that help at that one spot we need them to be. We need these guys to be scorers. We need guys who can create their own shots. And the last few years, we've had five or six, and now we're down to one. That's a problem. Now, here's, here's the good thing about what we saw against Virginia um, from Buddy, is that Virginia was sending two guys at him a lot. They were being extremely physical. They were limp, doing everything that they could. Their entire defensive strategy was make sure he doesn't get open looks. And he was five for 11 from three, scored 27 points, and had five assists. He was very good offensively in that game. And the fact that he took the onus offensively and did everything he could to lead Syracuse to victory offensively, despite that attention and that pressure from a very good defensive team, I think is encouraging as Syracuse moves forward through the rest of the ACC schedule. The problem was he had five assists, but he probably should have had eight or nine with the open looks that he got other people. So if, if your team is not great at creating their own shots, as, as you stated correctly stated, And your best hope of that is when teams focus on Buddy and Buddy can distribute, which he has shown the ability to do a little bit better this year than in years past, then the guys that get the open shots because they're doubling him have to make those shots in order to not allow teams to continue to double off of Cole Swider, Joe Girard, Jimmy Beheim, et cetera. And I think Jesse Edwards can help a little bit here too in that he's shooting such a high percentage. He's over 60%, I believe, uh, on the season, or right around 60% on the season, shooting the ball. He was three for five against Virginia, nine points. Um, I think they can run some stuff to him out of the post because he can. he's a better passer, I think, than, than people realize. You can throw the ball to him in the high post and have him facilitate, and if, if they just leave him one-on-one, he can make a move in the post to get to the basket. Um, and score as he did at the end of the first half to tie the game with, with a pretty impressive move um, where he kind of took an off balance floater in the lane and hit it. Uh, So I think there's some options there offensively to combat some of their limitations in creating their own shot, but it all starts with other guys making shots when they have those opportunities, they definitely have to do that. Uh, But I was encouraged by what I saw from buddy. I think, I think, as, as much as we get on Joe, I, I'm not worried about him coming back and making shots at some point again. I feel like the last two games were just sort of off games from him from that standpoint. It's really Cole Swider to me. I, he's the guy I think he's two for eight from three. And I think all eight were wide open and including a shot that would have tied the game in the final minute. Syracuse got a stop, was down three. They, you know, ran a play. Doubled Buddy, he kicks it over. Cole gets a wide open look that would have tied the game, and and he bricked it. 
uh, two for eight from three. He was one for four inside the arc. Um, he's got to be better. No question about that. So he, I also want to add in one more thing, which is Jimmy Bayheim's free throw percentage. And just he two for eight from free throw in this game. I'm sorry. That's just not good enough. Like, think about this. Uh, if he's, if he's four for eight from the line on that possession where Syracuse was down three and Cole Swider missed the wide open three to try to tie the game. They needed a three at that point. It's a one point game. You can hold the ball for the final shot and you can attack the basket with buddy or throw it into Jesse in, in the post or uh, give the ball to Jimmy inside, whatever the case is, see if he can draw a foul. You have a lot more options there because you don't need the three. So the even if he shot 50% from the free throw line in this game, which is not a significant ask, he was 71% his last season at Cornell. He's 56 this year. That drop is too large. And when he's their main threat on the inside to score, he has to be more efficient at the line. It's just not, again, like it's these simple things. We very much know this team's a good free throw shooting team. I mean, there is literally a Twitter account made for did Joe Girard miss a free throw? It always tweets out no, because he really doesn't. Him and Buddy and I believe one more guy are all over almost 90% this year. They're almost 90s in free throw shooting. That's what you want to be at in the pros. He's shooting 56%. It's, it's bad, when you're towards Shaq level free throws than when you're towards like an average NBA player's free throw percentage. Like when you're getting to Shaq range, you know, there's problems. Like at that point, they're going to start hacking him and he's going to start missing more free throws and it's going to get worse and worse. Even last, even we've seen in the past, Pascal Chukwu, not a good free throw shooter (laughs) would just somehow make like six free throws in a row and no one would know what happened. I don't see that coming with Jimmy right now because he can't make them. Oh, I know. And uh, Syracuse shoots 72% uh, from the free throw line as a team led by Joe Girard and Buddy Bayheim. Cole Swider is even at 84%. Uh, Jesse Edwards is at 65 And Frank Anselm is even at 70% on the season. I mean, that's that's crazy to me. And growing up in Connecticut, I got the the peak of Kemba Walker, Shabazz Napier, those UConn teams. The reason they won two championships is because they shot an abhorrently great number of free throws. They were like 90% in the NCAA tournament from free throw line. I don't think we're getting even close to that if we make if we make the tournament. That's the thing. Yes, we're shooting where we are right now. I that's good. That's not good enough to win a championship. It's just not. No. And, and when Jesse Edwards goes three for four and buddy Bayhan goes eight for nine and even Benny Williams goes two for two. And then Jimmy brings the whole thing down with two for eight. And if, if he had just gone four for eight, as we mentioned, 50% um, in this game, that puts Syracuse right at their season average. Um, and if he goes six for eight, Syracuse is winning at the end. I mean, it's, it just, it changes everything. So he's, he's got to figure out what's going on there from the line. uh, No doubt. Now, before we uh, wrap up this episode, I'll just go through 
Syracuse's upcoming schedule, because I do think if Syracuse is going to preserve Jim Beheim's streak of never having a losing season as a head coach, Syracuse currently has the nation's longest streak of winning seasons. And I don't remember exactly where they are off the, there's a record that was set by UCLA. It was like 55 or 56 seasons in a row, something like that. And Syracuse is a handful or slightly less away from tying that record. If Syracuse is going to preserve that, it's going to start with the next five or so games. Because they've got some tough ones coming up um, in February where they're playing at NC State. They're playing Louisville at Virginia Tech. They've got Duke coming to the Dome at North Carolina. I mean, there's, there's some tough games in February. January, what's coming up here over the next five games is at Miami, at Wake Forest, Pittsburgh at home, Florida State at home, and Clemson at home. Now, Miami is 11-3. They are 3-0 and in the conference. But this is a team who beat Wake Forest, an NC State team that has a lot of injuries, and a Clemson team that's kind of so-so. Those are the three teams that they beat. Um, and the Wake Forest game was at home. Other than that, the only power conference teams they've played, they were blown out by Alabama by 32. They beat um, a Penn State team that is six and five on the season. Um, so not great. And they, they've won those conference games, as I mentioned. So they haven't beaten a power conference team in the non-conference. Um, they've got, you know, a, a win over Lipsicum. They beat Stetson by 10. Um, they barely beat Florida Atlantic. They lost to Dayton by almost 20, barely beat North Texas. So, yes, this is a team that is 11-3. and three. They are not um, a team that is significantly more talented than Syracuse. They are good offensively. They are actually worse than Syracuse defensively. So that is a winnable opportunity for Syracuse. After that, you play at Wake Forest. Wake Forest was not a team that was expected to be great this year. They just lost to that Miami team, giving up 92 points. Uh, they barely beat Charlotte. They lost at Louisville. They did have an impressive win at Virginia Tech by 19, but they also barely beat VMI. Um, they didn't have a very good game against Western Carolina. Um, they've beaten up on a lot of kind of meh and mid-major, but not good mid-major teams. So they're 11-3, and three, but the record's a little bit inflated. That's a team that, while they're good and they certainly have some good players, that's not a team that you're overmatched against. So if Syracuse can find a way to split those road games, then they've got the home games against a bad Pittsburgh team, a Florida state team they've already beaten and a Clemson team. That's yes, nine and four. And they did beat the Virginia team that Syracuse just lost to, but um, they've also lost to Miami. They were taken to overtime by Drake. They barely beat Presbyterian and Wofford um, lost to West Virginia, lost to a Rutgers team that isn't very good this year. So that is also a team when you're playing them at home that you should beat. You end up in that five-game stretch at four and one, which given what we've seen from this team might be a tall ask, then Syracuse gets themselves kind of back into the mix there. So I think the next five games are going to be extremely important for Syracuse. Oh, yeah. And then after that, obviously the game just after Clemson, you head into Duke. You head down to Cameron Indoor. 
which if you can head in there with going four and one of the last five, at that point, you start feeling kind of good about it. Yes, Duke is currently number two in the nation, but at that point, you start feeling real good. Um, and also for the fans wondering uh, and listeners out there, the record of winning seasons in a row was 54 by UCLA. Uh, it ended in 2002. Uh, so that's what Cuse is starting to get close to. I believe we're in the 40s somewhere, 45, I think, is where we're at currently. Um, so we're, we're getting very, very close uh, in a few more years, obviously. It'll take a little bit more to crack uh, UCLA and that record. Um, but yeah, I, we need to go at least 4-1 and one in this stretch. I think if we can beat Miami, beat Wake Forest, beat Pittsburgh, and then beat Florida State, you win those four games. Clemson, if you lose it, okay, it happens. But you feel real good going on a 4-1 and one streak heading into Duke. I think that's yeah, and and then and then if you lose that Duke game right after that, you've got a game at Pittsburgh, and I know it's you know Syracuse Pittsburgh. It's a rivalry game, so they're always tough, but they're not all, they're not very good. So you know you figure out a way to win that one, and then you get Wake Forest back at home. You have a chance to be potentially thirteen and eight, and you've got two conference losses at that point. I mean, you'd be right right in the mix there, and and you know kind of put yourself at least back into the conversation of bubble talk somewhat at that point. So the next, you know, five to nine games or so extremely important for Syracuse to salvage something for this season. But that'll do it for episode 26 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. I'm Mike McAllister for Kyle F and we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.